Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, friends, you can be seated, and we're going to move now into the the sermon portion of the service. Um, I learned early on, you know, in, in show business, never go on stage with kids, right? Because they will upstage you every time. So the sermon comes first, and then the kids program comes second. I am very smart. I'm no dummy. I know how this goes. So uh, you need to know this. The uh, sermon today includes a story about suicide. It is a very hopeful story. Uh, it is a, a very appropriate story, I think, for all ages and something I would actually want my kids to hear because it's a message of hope. Uh, but I just I want you to know that as we get into it, that we'll always try to make a disclaimer if there's something, there's something heavy you should know about. So Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Anybody ever heard that quote before? future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. I would like to paraphrase Mrs. Roosevelt, if I could, and say that for people of faith, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of God's dream. Friends, did you know that God has a dream for your life, and God has a dream for his creation and for this world? And that if you read this book, particularly the prophets, you will see that the prophets are holding up, they're lifting up a dream, a vision for God's world. And they're acknowledging with us that the way things are now is not the way they should be. That the way things are now is not the way they will be in God's future. So there is a dream, and we are invited, particularly at Christmas, to dream a big dream with God. Friends, welcome to the last Sunday of Advent, and the last of our series is called Tidings of Comfort and Joy. And we are reading through the prophets, through the prophet Isaiah during this month, and we're talking about the dream that God gave to Isaiah to share with all the people. And this is, of course, one of the things that prophets do, right, is they dream big dreams on God's behalf and then announce it. So uh, what we're going to do is read through a little bit of Isaiah 65 today, and if you have your Bible, you can follow along, or you can always follow along on the screen as I read. But I want to preface this passage with a little bit of teaching of what this is, uh, because we are talking about a branch of theology known as eschatology. Everybody say eschatology. eschatology. Very good. Good job, Bible students. You know what eschatology means? It means the study of the end, the study of the end times. So the eschaton is the last days of the world that we read about in a book like Daniel or Revelation, which is an apocalypse in anticipating the future. So the prophets also pointed to the end, and so this is eschatology. Now eschatology uses kind of fantastic images and metaphors. It's not always meant to be interpreted exactly literally, but it's in, interpreted metaphorically to say this is the kind of thing that God is doing. And here's the good news about the, the eschatology you find in the Bible. The way things are now is not the way they always will be. Okay, Things are going to get better. And so when you look at the news or you, you read the news or you see things happening in your neighborhood or around the world with COVID-19, you just say, oh my gosh, you know, what's this world coming to, right? You ever think that to yourself? Like, man, things are bad eschatology in the Bible reminds us, okay, yes, it is bad, but it's not going to be bad forever. 
Things are going to get better. God is going to come and make things right. So let's think about that together. And as we read Isaiah 65, I want you to think about caterpillars and butterflies. Think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, that what is old is being transformed into something new, that this is what God is doing. And I want you to also notice that the most important thing that happens in the days to come is the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. That's what makes eschatology worth studying because we believe we are now living in the between times, right? The first Christmas happened and 2,000 years ago, and yet we also wait for Jesus to come back again. So Advent is not only about getting ready for Christmas, the first coming of Jesus, it's also about getting ready for the eschaton, the end, for the second coming of Jesus. Does that make sense? Advent means coming. We're in the between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Okay, so here it is, Isaiah's eschatological vision, his dream, Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. This is Isaiah speaking for God. God said, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the dream, friends. This is the dream that Isaiah saw of a new heaven and a new earth. God is creating and recreating. And I want you to notice with me how Isaiah is making connections between the beginning and the end. Did you hear Genesis story in there? Did you hear Revelation in there? Okay, so let's go to Genesis 1.1, the very beginning of this book, the very beginning of the Bible, first chapter, first verse, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so Isaiah is saying, okay, new heaven and new earth. So we go to Revelation, the very last book of this Bible, the next to last chapter, chapter 21, verse 1, says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Do you see the connection here? Genesis, Revelation, and Isaiah is kind of linking these together. He's saying beginning and end related. He's saying what God started, God will finish. What God has begun in you is going to be brought to completion. All things are being made new. Now, I know this is like kind of a heady idea, right? It's kind of out there. It's kind of wild. And so I want to try to put it in plain terms that we can understand and get our heads around it. I think Isaiah 65 is mainly about four things. I think it's about salvation. I think it's about justice. I think it's about peace. And I think it's about Jesus. 
Okay, so let's take those one at a time briefly. The new heaven and the new earth is about salvation. Uh, One of the errors of the evangelical church is that we have made salvation about getting individual souls to heaven, and we have neglected to emphasize what is the communal salvation and the cosmic salvation that God is bringing into the world. Okay, so um, in this story, in Isaiah 65, verse 19, when uh, God says, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. This is, this is a nod to the communal. Okay, Jerusalem is a city, right? It's a place you can look at on the map. But in the Bible, Jerusalem also stands for the people of God, the community of faith. God's saying, I'm going to rejoice over all of them, and I have delight in you, my people, the church, and, and of Israel. And look at this. This is the picture of heaven. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more, right? So in heaven, no more tears, no more need for crying, only rejoicing, only good all the time. So salvation, yes, for individuals, yes. God saves you. God saves your soul through Jesus Christ. But God also saves the whole of us, the new Jerusalem, the people of faith. And God is doing nothing less than making a whole new heaven and a new earth. Salvation includes all of the creation. Make sense? Salvation? Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going and talk about, uh, let's talk about justice. Uh, salvation and justice. Um, verse 22. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Okay, this is the vision of justice that is to come. And so um, imagine what it would be like if you built a house, but you were kicked out of it and someone else got to live there instead of you. That's not fair, is it? Or if you planted the garden and you, you tilled the soil and you pulled the weeds, but you didn't get to eat the fruit of your garden, someone else got to eat it instead, right? We have a word for that. We call it injustice. And when we look around at our world and we see evil having success and we see good struggling, we say, this is not right, right? We tell ourselves, this is not the way it's supposed to be. There is injustice in the world. And so the prophet is saying, yes, there is injustice now, but in God's future, all those things will be made right. And if you labor to build a house, you get to live in it. And if you labor to grow the garden, you will get to eat the fruit of the garden. Everything is going to be made right. My wife, Donna, and I had a socially distanced fire pit time with a friend and a neighbor last week, and um, she was kind of pouring out her heart. And you know, when you're the pastor, people save all their hard theological questions for you. Did you know that? So actually, I love it, but, uh, but sometimes people ask me questions I don't have great answers to. So this was one of those nights, and she was like, Pastor Brad, uh, you know, how come God, if God is so good and God is so powerful, how come God lets innocent children suffer? Right? And she had a long list of things that she was aware of in which children suffer. And you could probably make a list too. Right? And so the answer is, you know, I don't know. I don't have a great answer to that. But if you, if you think about it very long, you also are troubled in your soul at the suffering of people who don't deserve it. Now, we know biblically, theologically, the, the reason for that is the sin of humanity, right? I mean, we, un, we get that, but uh, in terms of the, the level of an individual child, I mean, why does that particular child have to suffer? I mean, that's, that troubles us. And so we go to God and we say, Lord, how long? How long are you going to let this injustice stand? How long until things are made right? And so the prophets are saying, just hang on, hang on. 
Hang in there, because God is going to make things right. Look at verse 20. Never again will there be in the kingdom an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. Okay, God's saying, look, in the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be no more sorrow and no more violence and no such thing as child abuse or as children who die when they are young. Friends, this is the promise. This is the good news. This is what we need to hear when we see suffering that is around us. And so in the kingdom to come, the servants of God will be vindicated. So if if you're someone who now is striving for justice and you're working for peace and you're standing alongside those who suffer, your day will come when you will be vindicated. Okay, but understand also, uh, there will be a day when that evil is also judged. So if you are someone who is doing evil, look out right? Because evil is going to be dealt with. Evil is going to be dealt with. This is justice. Salvation and justice and peace. I think that's what Isaiah 65 is about, friends. It's also about peace. Uh, One of the things that God promises through the prophets is peace in God's future. There will be no war and no violence and no death. Warriors are going to become farmers. Maybe you're familiar with the the beating swords into plowshares phrase. You've ever heard that idea before? That comes from the book of Isaiah. And so warriors become farmers, and their spears are turned into pruning hooks. So let's look at uh, verse 25 and, and look at the picture of the future. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Okay, so there's no place for violence on God's mountain. This is a peaceable kingdom. And so again, those who do evil will be judged and dealt with. Those who do good will be lifted up. So can you hear the judgment of evil in this passage? What do you hear? The serpent is going to eat dust. Okay, do you remember the story? Again, go back to Genesis. The serpent is the one who tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God, and so that kind of evil is going to be judged. It is going to be dealt with and is going to be crushed under the Lord's hand. At the same time, those who were enemies before are going to be reconciled. Okay, so wolves and lambs are going to be able to lay down together, and uh, lions will be able to eat straw and be satisfied like oxen eat straw. Now, why does that matter? Because uh, meat is bad? No, not because meat is bad, but because those who were once enemies before are going to live in harmony. Because nothing else will have to die in order for everyone to be satisfied, right? Because right now, something has to die in order for a lion to be satisfied. But in God's future, nothing else will have to die. Okay, so now this is the, remember we talked about metaphor. This is the metaphor. This is like what it looks like in the animal kingdom. Now imagine this in your life. Okay, what would it look like for your enemy and you to be reconciled to one another? What would it look like for you and that person from whom you are estranged to have healing in your relationship? I know know you have stories. I have them too. Family members, friends, neighbors, people that we have had a hard time with and we butt heads, or maybe you don't even talk to them at all because it's so painful. And Isaiah says, look, (laughs) there's going to be reconciliation. There will be reconciliation and there will be forgiveness and there will be peace in your relationships. That is the promise of God for God's people. 
Friends, this is real. This is as real as it gets. And I know it's fantastic and wild in, in the Scriptures, but this is real. All of this is made possible by the return of Christ. And so when we talk about salvation and justice and peace, I need you to understand this is about Jesus. Jesus is the one who undergirds all of this, who makes all of this possible for you. It's the obedience of Christ that makes these things possible because Jesus is able to obey the Father even when we aren't. Jesus is able to endure suffering even when we aren't. And so the incarnation of Christ, Jesus coming on Christmas and his death and resurrection stand at the center of salvation history. It's holding together the beginning and the end and everything in between. This is what Jesus is doing, friends. This is what Jesus is doing. And so you know what your job is in all this? Do you understand what it is? Hang on. (laughs) Hold on. Keep your faith. Be patient. Trust that Jesus is coming back into the world. Hang on. I know it's hard. I know some days you feel like giving up. I know some days you feel like lashing out at the people around you because I I feel it too. I feel it too. But I'm telling you, hang on. It will get better. In the kingdom to come, it is going to be all right and good and beautiful. God is not finished with you yet. God is going to finish what he started. In the meantime, we get glimpses, don't we? We get a sneak peek. We get to just see a little bit and taste a little bit at a time, small moments and and subtle revelations like uh, an angel uh, announcing the good news or uh, the generosity of a church who feeds their neighbors or children who delight us with the Christmas story with singing and dancing. But in order to see that, friends, you need faith. You, You need a holy imagination. And don't confuse imagination with imaginary, okay? What God is doing is not imaginary, but you need imagination to see it because it's subtle and it's small and the light comes in to the darkness. And so I'm imploring you, I'm begging you, please, please, hang on, use your imagination, keep your faith, and let yourself be in wonder at what God is doing. Because the great thing about wonder is we can appreciate what is true even if we can't understand it. Let's make it real. Can we make it real? Uh, In China, they have 20% of the world's suicides. One out of every five people in the world who ends their life is from China. And it's a leading cause of death, especially among young people, among young adults, And one of the morbidly popular places uh, for people to end their own lives is the Yangtze River Bridge in Nanjing. The bridge stands 130 feet above the water, which means people who jump off it die almost every single time. Thousands of people have died here, desperate and melancholy and tormented. They come here to this spot to end their lives. So, Maybe we're wondering, why doesn't someone do something about that, right? Okay, someone has. Someone has. His name is Mr. Chen. It's a true story. Mr. Chen, since 2003, is the self-appointed guardian angel of the Yangtze River Bridge in Nanjing. Every Saturday and every Sunday, from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 in the afternoon, he rides his moped 
up and down the bridge, up and down the bridge, looking for people who are in distress. He has made signs, and he puts signs on the bridge with his cell phone number on it that says, if you need help, please call me. And he will answer his cell phone, and he will talk to people. So he rides his moped, and he wears binoculars around his neck so that he can see people from a distance. And he says he's trained himself to look for people. Do you know how, what he looks for? He looks for people who are alone, He looks for people whose shoulders are slumped down. And he looks for people who walk without spirit, is what he says. People who walk without spirit. So when he finds someone in trouble, he he tries to talk to them. He tries to literally talk them down from the ledge, from the edge, away from danger and into a place of safety. And he also literally wrestles people away from the edge. He has tackled people to try to save them and pull them back from the edge. And sometimes he's not successful. And he watches as they fall over the edge. But many times he is successful. And he has saved many, many people. In fact, um, he, uh, when he started in 2003, um, he wasn't as good then as he is now. He's learned how to do this. So in 2003, he made a big sign, and he painted a heart on it, and it wrote kind of an inspiring message. So that when he saw someone in distress, he would hold up the sign so they could look at it, because he was socially awkward, and he couldn't like, bring himself to talk to the people, but he realized the problem with the sign, the sign is heavy and he can't run with it. And he said, I had to put down the sign so that I could run because some people needed saving in that moment. And so he's gotten better at this over the years, over the last 17 years. He keeps a diary and he writes down his adventures and the names of the people he has saved. Do you know in 17 years, In his diary, he has written down the names of 350 people. Mr. Jen has 350 saves. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. 350 people who are alive today because of him, because of his willingness to sacrifice his life for for theirs. Now, you might imagine those people, most of them, they've gone back to their regular life, right? I mean, they have a a crisis moment, and then you move on, you get some help. And so they went back to work and back to home and and all those things. Um, But a few, a few of them gather, maybe the most thankful, I don't know, they, they gather with Mr. Chen every year, and they have a little miniature reunion. And they come to the foot of the bridge, the site of where they almost ended their lives, and they gather together with each other and with Mr. Chen And do you know when they do it? On Christmas. (laughs) They gather on Christmas and they come to say thank you to Mr. Chen. Thank you for saving my life. And they come to have a sense of community with these other people, these really unlikely new friends who they now share this experience with. And they come to share with each other what their life has been like since the day that they almost died. Do you know where I read this news story? In Gentleman's Quarterly a secular magazine of all places, which I think is pretty wild. And I don't know if the author is a disciple of Jesus or not, uh, but I was blown away when I read the article. It said every year when they come at Christmas and they gather with Mr. Chen, they, they have a ceremony. They have a little ritual that they go through. And as part of the ceremony, this is what the article said, they calculate their new age from the date of their salvation. <laughs> They're born again. They are born again, saved for a new life. How extraordinary is it? 
friends, that there is a human being on this planet who loves people enough to give up every weekend of his life and to risk his own life to save them when they are at their lowest moment. How extraordinary is it that there's a God who sent his son to this planet to love us so that we can be saved now and forever and that we can be part of this new heaven and new earth. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so, so good to us. We are moved, Lord, at your generosity of your spirit and of the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us never to take the Christmas story for granted, but to be in awe of what you have done and of what you are doing, to be thankful every day of our lives and to share the joy you've given us with our neighbors. We thank you, Lord, for all of this, and we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.